we start a brand new series today called Financial Freedom. Now, I'm going to start by making a bold prediction. I believe that some of you will look back years from now and say, God used the Financial Freedom Series at the start of 2020 to change my life and my future more than any single series. Some of you are going to say that this series is actually that important. Now, let me tell you what I know about people. Most people have a problem with finances. They really do. Oh, if you ask them, do you have a problem with money? They'll say, no. Oh, I'd love more of it. But no, I don't really have a problem. And yet, those same people who would answer that way are struggling to pay their bills on time. Or they're struggling with worry and anxiety over financial matters. Or they're, they're just hoping that their appliances won't care up because they, they know that if they do, they're in a pickle because they can't really easily replace them without going into more debt and on and on and on. Most people I know truly struggle with finances, but uh, they won't admit it. These kind of people remind me of Harry Truman. No, not the president, Harry Truman. They remind me of Harry Truman, the guy who lived on the side of Mount St. Helens 40 years ago. Harry was one interesting dude, let me tell you. He lived there on the side of Mount St. Helens with his 23 cats. Cats are wonderful animals, but 23 is a lot of them, okay? And so there they lived, and the seismologists on national TV were interviewing Harry Truman and they would say things like this, look, sir, you need to get off the mountain because this mountain is about to blow. And as they were talking, the mountain was literally quaking and shaking behind them. And Harry Truman would respond, oh, nobody knows this old mountain better than I do. I've lived here all my life. I know there's no problem. Can you believe it? His sister actually got on national television pleading with Harry to get off the mountain. She said, the mountain's gonna blow. Please get off the mountain. He said, no, nobody knows this mountain better than I do. I've been here so long, I don't have a problem. But on May the 18th, 1980, at 8.31 a.m., the mountain blew. And it blew with an intensity greater 500 times greater and more ferocious than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. 2,500 feet of mountain from the top of that mountain were blown to smithereens. It blackened the sky from Seattle all the way to New York and as far south as Oklahoma. And by the way, no one has seen a trace of Harry or his 23 cats since. Now, I begin this series with the assumption that nobody, surely nobody, wants to live with that kind of denial. Surely everyone, I'm starting with this assumption, everyone wants financial freedom. Nobody wants the frustration of not being able to pay bills on time, struggling with anxiety and worry, not being able to be generous like your heart wants to be, and not being able to say with honesty, I am financially free. I believe 
Everybody wants financial freedom. Well, the good news is that Jesus talked a lot about this. Would you believe me if I told you that two-thirds of his parables had to do with this subject? It's staggering, isn't it? Two-thirds of the parables that Jesus taught had to do with how we manage possessions, money, finances, how we steward these things. I find that to be amazing. And I've just concluded through the years that when people get their attitude about money straight, it really does. It's true. It tends to straighten out all kinds of other areas of life. But for believers who don't get this item straight, they tend to be frustrated, not just with finances, but with all kinds of other areas as well. So my job is to teach what the Bible says. I believe God has given us principles that if we live by them, will lead to amazing financial freedom. Some people may violate God's principles out of ignorance. That is, they honestly just don't know what they are. Other people may violate the principles out of sheer willful disobedience. But the problem is, the result is essentially the same. Financial bondage and frustration. But I believe there's hope. I want you to leave here today and every day of this series brimming with hope and encouragement. I want you to know you don't have to accept status quo. You don't have to live in denial. Financial freedom is not a mirage. It can be realized, but it's going to take some decisions on our part. So I just want to put it on the line for you. When it comes to my financial freedom, the decisions made in my house are more important than decisions made in the White House. There's no political spin whatsoever on that statement. You can be the most politically conservative or the most politically liberal person in the Capital District, and the statement is still true. When it comes to my financial freedom, Decisions made in my house are more important than decisions made in the White House or the state capitol or Congress or anywhere else, and the same is true for you. So let's jump in. I suppose a good starting place is to define it, right? What is financial freedom? And so all week long and for the last several weeks, I've been struggling as I've been reading on this, trying to come up with what it will be my definition for financial freedom. You may think it could be better, it probably can, but this is the one I've crafted and landed on. Let me share it, and we're going to unpack it for the next few weeks. Financial freedom is a profound, satisfying contentment marked by an absence of greed, that's a very important line, and release from anxiety and worry about spiritual, or excuse me, financial matters. Folks, there's a lot in that statement. And as I say, for the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring that together. Now, let me see a show of hands up front here. And I want to know if this is true now or has ever been the case with you, okay? First, three easy questions. I'd love for you to raise your hand if this is something you've grappled with. 
If you have ever had or have now anxiety or worry over spiritual matters like I have, my hand is up on all three of these, by the way, just so you know. If you've ever had anxiety or worry over spiritual matters, could I see your hand? Hold it up high, please, and leave it up. Wow, a lot of hundreds, hundreds of people. Thank you. I think we're whew, kind of all keeping the same company there. How many of you, second question, either now or at some season of your life have had this thought, boy, I sure hope my car doesn't tear, break down right now and tear up because I don't know how I would fix it. Could I see your hand, please? Whoa, whoa, a lot of people. Thank you. Thank One more question. You're doing great. I just want to see if we've kind of experienced these things together. One final question. How many of you, when that alarm clock goes off in the morning, either you're experiencing this now or you have in the past, you get up, you start driving, 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 you go and you work harder and faster, not so much because you love your job, because you feel like you're working yourself out of a financial hole. Could I see your hand, please? Whoa, a lot of people, a lot of people. It seems that most of us have been there. Thank you for your honesty. And of course, if those things are true right now, it's probably a pretty good sign that that thing called financial freedom is eluding our grasp. So as we dive in, let's tackle what I'm calling a couple of myths about financial freedom. I want to get our thinking kind of straight in the starting message so that we can kind of get somewhere in the next few weeks. Two myths about financial freedom. One myth is that more money is the key to financial freedom. I think that's probably the most common myth out there. Hollywood, Madison Avenue, wherever it may originate, bombards us with messages and advertising every day of our lives that essentially boils down to this. You need more. You do. You need more. You need more stuff in your home. You need appliances like this. You need an automobile like this. You need these kinds of clothes. You need these kinds of vacation experiences, et cetera, et cetera. You need this entertainment. And here's the underlying message. If you had this, more of this, you would be happy. It even goes beyond that. It says you would be exhilarated. You would be a satisfied person. But the bottom line is you need more. And more is going to mean more money. But Ecclesiastes 5 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? So I want us to start by admitting money will never satisfy us. Only God can do that. What we need is a change of attitude. So let's go back once more to the definition. I want you to consider this definition. Financial freedom is a profound, satisfying contentment marked by the absence of greed and release from anxiety and worry about financial matters. In other words, it's not about how much you have. It's about freedom. 
I know some very wealthy people who are in financial bondage. They're not free at all. But they got tons of money coming in. And I know some very poor people who are in financial bondage. Even though they don't have much, they still love money just as much as that wealthy guy. Are you still listening? And I know some people who are flourishing financially. Wow, they're well off. And yet, by our definition, they are financially free. And I know some people who are living with relatively little who honestly can say, I am free financially. I'm not marked by greed, and I have been released from anxiety and worry over financial matters. Folks, that's what I want for every one of you. Please hear me today. My passion, my goal, my one aim in this series is financial freedom, and that is gonna be marked by a tremendous contentment in your life, and you'll know that when you reach it. In other words, this series is a lot more about the health of our soul than it is about the health of our financial portfolio. But we've got to face that lie because it is huge in our culture that you just need more money to really be financially free. In 1923, at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago, nine powerful men in America got together for a meeting. They were the top financiers and power brokers in our nation. Among them were the president of America's largest steel company, president of America's largest utility company, president of America's largest gas company, president of the New York Stock Exchange. Can you see these powerful people, the president of the Bank of International Settlements, the nation's greatest wheat speculator, nation's greatest bear on Wall Street, head of the world's greatest monopoly, a powerful and influential member of President Harding's cabinet. Now, why are they coming together? Well, one, to celebrate their amazing financial successes And two, to strategize how they could get even greater dominance economically in the future. What a meeting. And yet, how did things turn out for these distinguished gentlemen? 25 years later, every single one of them had come to a horrifying end either to his career and or to his very life. Let me explain. President of the largest steel company, Charles Schwab, died a bankrupt man. President of the largest utility company, Samuel Insull, died penniless. President of the largest gas company, Howard Hobson, suffered a mental breakdown and ended up in an insane asylum. President of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney by name, had just been released from prison. The bank president, Leon Fraser, had taken his own life. The wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died penniless. The head of the nation's, world's rather, greatest monopoly, Ivar Kruger, also took his own life. And that powerful member of President Harding's cabinet, Albert Fall, had just been given a pardon from prison so he could die at home. But what about the ninth guy? Oh, he was a colorful character. 
Jesse Lauriston Livermore. Jesse Livermore was his name. He was the great bear on Wall Street, willing to take any risk. What a colorful guy. His middle name, Lauriston, uh, led to people giving him this sort of nickname, Lori, and that was sort of the pet name a lot of people, family and others, called him by. A week after Thanksgiving in 1940, Jesse walked into the Sherry Netherland Hotel in New York City, sat down at the bar, had two drinks, and as he drank his two drinks, he scribbled out a note. After finishing the note and the drinks, he walked to the nearby coat room just off the lobby, sat down on a stool, and shot himself in the head. He was 62 years old. He left behind $5 million down from the $100 million fortune he had amassed just several years earlier. What about the note? He had scribbled on the note, my dear Nina, can't help it. Things have been bad with me. I'm tired of fighting. Can't carry on any longer. This is the only way out. I am a failure. I'm truly sorry, but this is the only way out for me. Love, Lori. Pastor Rex, why would you share such a depressing story with us at the start of the new year? Big takeaway here. Money alone is never gonna bring us the satisfaction we all long for and yearn for. Now, why am I pressing this so hard? Because even though most of us would use our Christian cliches and go, yeah, amen, brother, amen, hallelujah, I think you're right, we don't live that way. Most believers I know who would check off that box and say, I agree, we still live as though we believe money is the key to that deep soul contentment for which we long. Almost every survey ever done, I looked at some online just this week, Confirm the same thing. You ask a person who's making 60,000, what would it take for you to live the American dream? Oh, probably 75,000. You ask a person making 75,000, what about you? What would it take for you to really live out the American dream? Probably 100,000. Ask a person making 100K, what would it take for you to embrace and live with gusto the American dream? Probably 150,000. It's always eluding our grasp. There's always more, we believe, that would bring the contentment that we need. Money's not the problem. The problem's in here. Because the truth of the matter right now is 99, listen closely, 99% of us in this sanctuary right now and those listening online, 99% of us are wealthier than 90% of the people in the world. In other words, we're well off, whether we realize it or not. What we need is not so much more, we need some tweaking of attitudes. We need some recalibration of our worldview and our view toward money. We need to change some of our habits, and that requires intentionality and introspection. So believe it or not, the biggest myth out there is that just more money would lead to financial freedom. It's a lie. But there's an opposite extreme that is equally dangerous. Less money 
is the key to financial freedom. You go, pastor, are you for real? I mean, would anybody really vote for this? I doubt it. And yet there is a strong undercurrent out there in Christendom that goes something like this. Let me explain it to you how the thinking goes. Since the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, not money, but the love of money, and that is true. Therefore, God wants all of us ideally to live in poverty. So if you really wanna please God, give away everything you've got, become a beggar, live on the edge of poverty and you'll really please God and whatever else you do, don't you dare take something nice in this world that God has blessed you with and actually enjoy it because that really ticks God off. That's what I call a poverty mentality. And trust me, it shows up with this sort of pious, arrogant, judgmental attitude toward the way other believers use resources. You'll often see a person who's inflicted with this and they're pretty judgmental toward fellow believers. For instance, they may see a fellow believer who maybe a family has a second home somewhere. And they go, do they really need that? Oh, I can't believe any real Christian would have a second home. Surely there's some better way or they'll see somebody with some nice clothing and they'll, with a pious, judgmental spirit, very critical, go, couldn't they have bought their clothes at the Salvation Army store? I mean, did they really need to go to that department store and buy those clothes? So if you find yourself struggling with that sort of judgmental mentality toward fellow believers... I would simply ask you to consider this verse from Romans chapter 14, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says to believers who are struggling with similar critical attitudes toward other issues, he said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? They're not your servants, they're God's, in other words. To his own master, he stands or falls, And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then he goes on to say, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. The truth of the matter is, folks, God blesses the socks off of some people financially, and he allows others to struggle. You've read your Bible, haven't you? Tell me you've read your Bible, please. You've read your Bible, right? And if you have, you know, bingo, Job is an example. Wow, the bottom fell out. Tremendous financial loss. And if you've read your Bible, you know that at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, there's this whole list of men and women that were heroes in God's eyes. And yet, you know how they lived? They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They didn't even have proper clothing to wear or enough to eat, and yet they were heroes in God's eyes. And in that same Bible, that same Bible, you'll read about people like Solomon and David and Lydia and Abraham who were fabulously wealthy. God blesses some people 
and he allows others to struggle. Financial freedom is not tied to our net worth. We've got to understand that deep in our hearts. But here's a question I would want you to really jot down. This is an incredibly important question with where we're headed. Who or what runs my life today? That's the question I'm most interested in. Not so much how much you have, not what your net worth is, whether it's a lot or a little, who or what runs my life today? You need to ask yourself that question. Because Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So a journey like this to financial freedom needs to begin with some serious soul-probing questions. What sets the agenda? When I or my family are about to face a big decision, is it money that's the bottom line always on everything? Or are there other matters like values? and spiritual health, and what it will do to our soul and our relationships. If I sat down with you and looked at your calendar and your checkbook, what priorities would I see there? Those are the kind of questions a journey to financial freedom begins with. But we cannot be financially free as long as money is our God. Please trust me on that. So again, I say it. This series is just as much about the health of our souls as it is about the health of our financial portfolio. So as we go down home stretch today, for a few brief minutes, I want to ask this question, how can we attain financial freedom? I'm convinced it's not a mirage. I could point you literally to dozens of couples at Grace, mature, godly people that I believe, and single people, individuals at Grace, that I believe are either living or are very close to living financial freedom by this definition. You say, how did they get there? Simply taking God seriously and following his principles and trying to avoid some of the traps of ignoring or disobeying God. So, if you want that, if you want financial freedom, here's what I would say. First, get a clear picture of your current reality. It all starts right there. You gotta know what your net worth is. You gotta know what's coming in. You gotta know what's going out. Proverbs 3, excuse me, 27 says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Now, in this agrarian society, in this farming society where they raised flocks and herds and grew crops, that's like saying, know what your net worth is. Know what you've got. Know what your assets are. And give careful attention to your herds. In other words, know what's happening with your assets and your investments and so on. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations." Financial counselors across our nation give the same testimony. They say it's a staggering reality that when we sit down with people and ask them, what is your debt load? How are you doing financially? They'll say, oh, well, you don't have too much debt. Well, we've got a few thousand dollars on our credit cards and, and we have our mortgage for our house. Anything else? No, not really. Well, 
What about student? Oh, student loan. Oh, yeah, of course, we got those. We're, we're dealing with those, trying to pay them off. And what about car? Do you, do you have a lease or do you have car? Oh, yeah, yeah, we make those payments. And they find consistently that what people tell them is their debt load compared to the reality of it, it's usually three to five times larger. It's amazing how sobering it is when we get a picture of where we really stand. Proverbs 19 says, it's not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. A man's own folly ruins his life. In other words, the decisions made in my house are more important than the decisions made somewhere else. I can't pass the buck on this one. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. A second thing I would say to you, if you really wanna start making that move toward financial freedom, and that's what this month is all about, it's gonna be an exciting journey. I'm praying every week you will walk away with hope in your heart, with encouragement, that you will have gained new courage. This is not a mirage. I can really live this. It's to seek first the kingdom of God and his priorities. What I mean there is that true contentment is really a spiritual thing. I'm holding here a book by Jeremiah Burroughs called Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, one of the finest books you'll ever read, certainly one of the best on contentment. Now, Jeremiah Burroughs died in 1646. He was an English Puritan preacher. Yep, he's one of those old dead guys. That's who he is. But boy, these old dead people wrote some really good stuff. And if you check out this resource, which is in the bibliography section on the website, you can go there and see it as we do at the beginning of every series. This book and many of the other books there talk about contentment as almost like a mysterious thing. Listen to what Burroughs says here. He talks about the mystery and the art of contentment. And he says, and I quote, contentment is a sweet, inward, heart thing. It is a work of the Spirit indoors, meaning in our very heart and soul. Again, that's what we're going after. And only God can help bring that about. And I gotta tell you, I, I, I don't find too many people who've ever said to me, Pastor Rex, my goal in life is godliness with contentment. I don't know that I've ever had a person say that to me, but I know tons of people who are driving for more, 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 thinking that's the key. The Bible makes a huge deal of contentment. Listen to just a few verses quickly. Philippians 4, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that and mean it? I'll go like, eh, bring it on. It doesn't matter what life throws at me. I know that I'm gonna keep on flourishing. I'm gonna handle it quite well because I've learned the secret of contentment. I've learned it's not about how much I've got. It's about freedom in Christ. It's about contentment in my soul. How about Hebrews 13? 
Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? One more verse, 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Get a clear picture of your current reality. Seek first the kingdom of God and his priorities. And finally, and we're gonna again unpack a lot of this in the coming weeks. I just wanna highlight it today as we wrap up. Commit to some positive habits. Everyone I know personally who has realized financial freedom has in one fashion or another committed himself or herself to these positive habits. Number one, practice living within my means. We cannot be spending and using up more than we actually make or receive. We've gotta live within our means. We're gonna talk next week about the debt trap. Oh, we're gonna get so practical. I think you're gonna walk away encouraged, going like, hey, I can make some positive steps here. But we've got to stop pretending that we've got more than we do. Proverbs 12 says, better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and have no food. That's speaking of this whole image trap, which is huge in our American culture. Have you ever known people like that? They pretend to be doing so well, but their cupboards are bare. They're playing a pretend game. And I'm sad to say there's a lot of cars and clothes that are bought to pretend. There's a lot of entertainment that is purchased to pretend. There's a lot of gifts at Christmas and birthdays that are bought to pretend. There's a lot of jewelry that is purchased in order to pretend. The contented person says, no, hey, I'm good with this. This is where I am right now. My whole ego and self-image is not tied to some pretend game where I've got to act like I'm at a different level than I am. No, that's silly. I'm going to live within my means. Second, practice living with some margin. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks where you actually begin to save some. You begin to build some buffer in your life. Because that gives the Holy Spirit a place to work. That gets exciting when you've got a little margin in your life and the Holy Spirit has room to work there. But also, it allows for worst case scenarios. Now, I hope you understand that Christians are not pessimistic people, but Christians are realistic people. And we know that worst case scenarios happen because we've read the Bible, right? Genesis chapter three, it's called the fall of humanity. Murphy did not discover Murphy's law. I got news for you today. Adam and Eve caused it. So-called Murphy's laws are just the ripple effect 
of what our sin has put into motion. And so when we have margin in our lives, it allows us to make allowance for that. Proverbs 21, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Pulls no punches, does it? It's to the point, but only the foolish person uses up everything they get. And there's one final practice. Everybody I know who's living financially free practices in one fashion or another, and that is practicing first fruits giving. That is right off the top. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's that mysterious thing that many of us have learned and are learning, that when you give to God, somehow you end up with more than you gave and a huge blessing in the process. What a journey this is gonna be. And some of you are gonna look back and say, God used the Financial Freedom Series at the start of 2020 to change my life more than any other single series. It is literally that important. Father, thank you for all of your principles that lead to freedom. As we study these together, I pray that you'd help all of us, no matter where we are on this journey, to find that amazing, satisfying, profound contentment marked by a release from greed, absence of greed, and a release from anxiety and worry about financial matters. I want that for every single person at Grace, no matter their age, no matter where they are in life. Help us this month. Would you give us grace that we would all begin to realize the miracle that you can bring about of financial freedom. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. 